podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? As good as can be expected on a midweek as we head into no proper football. No proper football now for two weeks. International nonsense taking hold. But, you know, it could be worse. So, Carl, the Reds are fourth in the Premier League after a 2-2 draw at Brighton. You were not on post-match Raw for the 103-minute extravaganza that took place between myself, Trev and Harry Setti. Uh, your thoughts on Brighton 2, Liverpool 2? Uh, quite frustrating. I don't know how you guys felt about it, obviously, because like I said, I wasn't on it, but I was not impressed, basically. Thought we started well for maybe 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes, and then we were largely abysmal. Um, obviously, two very, very quick goals before halftime were, were more than welcomed, but I, I wouldn't say that we deserved them in the slightest uh, second half again, I thought we had like a little spell where we were all right, but not great. And then I thought again, we were very, very poor. Um, not fortunate to get a point um, because, you know, we were two one up. But if you took the order of the goals scored out of the equation and just went by the match and chances, I don't think Liverpool deserved much. Yeah, I mean, there's no question Brighton were absolutely the better team by a considerable margin in the first half and somehow we went in 2-1 up. I did think we were the better team in the second half overall and yet they won the half 1-0. And I know, you know, Gravenberg missed that great chance but Joe Pedro missed a brilliant chance for them as well. Now, if Ryan scores his chance, we go 3-1 up and maybe they don't, they don't get back into it. But we do have to factor in that uh, Adingra had missed a really good chance just before that as well. So, you know, they they did have the better chances in the game. And I was happy with the point, I have to say. I, I thought it was a good game of football between two good teams. And I think they're really good. And we spoke about them on Raw or on um, on Scouted before the game. And like I am very high on that team. I think they've got so much talent. I was really impressed by uh, Balaba in midfield making his first start in the Premier League. I thought he looked really, really good. And um, the kind of profile that maybe we're missing, but, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. You know, who had $29 million to spend, you know, when, when you're too busy spending $18 million on a midfielder that you won't pick for whatever reason? Um, let's not get bogged down in that. Let's have some fun today because it is an international break. So we were asked a while back, I think by Harry Welchie or by YNWA Foodie, one of them, I think, to pick our best 11s of players named David, or Carl or, you know, 
alterations of said names. Um, we've so we've both picked, I think, eleven and three subs. Is that fair to say? Yes, and a manager, and a manager. So, um, do you want to kick us off with your Carl goalkeeper? <laughs> sure. Um, no, I think it's worth pointing out we're going to go fairly quickly through these. And also, it did start off being just Carl and Dave, and then you were allowed David. So then I was allowed Carl with a C, and then you were allowed some other variation of like Davy or something like that. And so it's evolved, I think it's fair to say. Um, but uh, for my goalkeeper, I am indeed sticking to the rules. Uh, Carl with a K, Carl Darlow is my number one. Oh, that's not a bad shout. That's not a bad shout at all. Um, I was convinced that I was going to have to screw my whole team straight away by picking David James (laughs) until the realisation popped into my head that David Seaman, uh, one of the best goalkeepers that the Premier League has ever seen, would also qualify because his name is David. So I've got David Seaman in goal. Um, You may just win that head-to-head. Just a little bit, I think. Just a little bit. Right. Give me your back four then. Right. Or or back three or whatever way you've gone. I have gone a four and rules have gone out the window here. Um, I I, I do have um, no Carls, but I do have a Carles. So it's Carles Puyol who starts at right back for me. I also have a Carlos and it's Roberto Carlos who is at left back for me. And then I decided to go a little bit different in the centre and I went with, uh, let's say, a level-headed uh, personality and an absolute Rottweiler. Um, again, slightly breaking the rules here for a Clark Carlisle centre-back. And Carlos I'm accepting Bocanegra. it. I'm going to accept that I'm happy. <laughs> and Carlos Bocanegra to partner him. That's... <laughs> I am giving away the free kicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of the free kicks. Um... Okay, okay, but I, I, I can I can see I can see the logic there. Um right, my back four I, I have had to uh play someone out of position uh because I, I had to get this player in. So I've gone with David Rowcastle at right back as a marauding right back. <laughs> is um, he doing is he doing an amrabat, is he? He's he's doing a bit of everything. I, I'm I'm thinking more along the lines of a Joshua Kimmich, but what? more dynamic, better dribbler. I think I think if if he came through now, I actually think someone would put him at right back because I think he'd be an all encompassing right back. He had the passing ability, the dribbling ability. He was great defensively, rock solid player, incredibly gift. One of the most talented English players ever. Um, so I've got David Rowcastle at right back. I've unfortunately had to do a bit of barrel scraping uh, at left back, though, and I've I've gone with David Unsworth. Now I'm looking for young David Unsworth here before all the pies, but uh, he also gives me a solid penalty taker. Yeah, set pieces are right there, isn't it? In the middle, I've gone with David O'Leary, who was a great, great centre back. So oh. I've got him. And then I've got a slight alteration. I've got Davide Astori, uh, unfortunately, the former um, captain of Fiorentina who passed away a few years ago. Really good, solid centre-back. Um, there wasn't great options in defence, it must be said. So 
I've I've made the best of it, and that's what I've got. Who was your second one there? Sorry, Davide Astori. Davide Astori. Okay, so yeah, yes, uh, stretching the boundaries, let's say, but probably less so than a class than, than yours. Yes, yeah, yeah. or it, Roberto it. Carlos, well, <laughs> or well, Carlos Puyol. <laughs> well, you know. Um, right, so if you if you were happy with my um, defensive stretching, let's say, oh, you're going to enjoy my midfield. Um, I'm playing a four four two. What are you going with? I've also got a four four two. Splendid, magnificent stuff. Right, this guy was going to be sub, but you will berate me if I leave him out. So Carlton Palmer is centre mid for me. Absolutely, what a pick! Yeah. What a pick! <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go left wing first because I've stuck to the rules for this one. It's a Carl Toko Akambi. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. I'm going to let you figure these ones out, though. Centre mid alongside Carlton Palmer, Joey Gidjonsson. <laughs> is his middle name Carl? His middle name is, in fact, Carl. It's Johannes Carl Gudjonsson, former Aston Villa, Wolves, Leicester, and, of course, Real Betis stalwart, uh, later of Burnley, if I remember right. Burnley, Huddersfield. Um, and and yeah. many, 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 many Iceland caps as well. So I'm going Joey Gudjonsson, Joey Carl Gudjonsson. I like it. Um, I like it. And he's, he was a good player as well, so I, I like that one. Now, he was a good player. My best midfielder is the last one, though. Probably okay. third, maybe fourth best player in my entire team. Freddie Leungberg. <laughs> is his middle name Carl? His middle name is not. His first name is Carl. His first name is Carl. He's, He's just Carl Frederick. Freddie. Yes, he yes, is. yes. He's Carl Frederick Leungberg, and I'm having him in my team. I may make him captain just because he's a hidden Carl. So if he was he's... Carl Leungberg, he doesn't have the career he had. Oh, no, he wouldn't be anywhere near as good. <laughs> he, wouldn't the brilliance. Get, he wouldn't have been able to get away with the, uh, the, the dyed hair either, to be perfectly no, honest. No, definitely not. Having no. played five-a-side tournaments with purple-sprayed hair myself in my youth, I can attest to this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're being called already. No Carl Jenkinson, Finland legend in your team. Um, Just be patient, people. Be patient. He's on the bench. <laughs> um, right. My midfield then, and, and I have to say, I have two iterations of this, and I have you beat regardless of which way it is, right? So um, on my on my right wing, I've got former footballer of the year, one of the best wingers in Premier League history, David Ginola, or David Ginola. Uh, so... He's obviously fantastic. On my left wing, I've got David Silva, which, you know, one of the all-time great Premier League players. Uh, in midfield, I've got centre midfield, I've got David Beckham. So, you know. Uh, and then I've, I've, I've done one where I've stretched the boundaries. And prior to recording, you have signed off on this. I've got Edgar Davids. Now, if there is pushback on Edgar Davids, I can also go David Platt or David Batty. So I'm a midfield, my midfield is strong. It's represented well. I'll be honest. The Carls of the football world have, in general, not reached this level. No, they've let you down. They've let they you down. And they're going to let you down further in attack. Well, I don't mind uh, my attack, mate. I don't mind it at all. 
Okay, well, let's have your front two then. My front two, uh, one one authentic Carl and one, well, you know, one of the, the the translations. If you're getting a Davide, I'm getting a Carlos in again. So it's Carlos Tevez and Karl-Heinz Riedler. <laughs> in fairness, uh, it's a very good pairing. It's a very good pairing, and I'm absolutely allowing it, allowing the Carlos. Um, two of my favourite players, to be fair. Now, I have three options in attack up front, three really good options. But I've decided to, to forgo putting Jonathan David in right. because he's Jonathan. And I've gone with David Trezeguet and David Villa. <laughs> so you're getting the goals. <laughs> so I'm getting the goals. I've got Silva and Ginola to supply the goals and Beckham and then Edgar Davids or if not him, David Batty to do all of the ball winning. Well, I'm glad that I went for a, a functional midfield, let's say, with uh, Good Johnson and Palmer as the partnership. They're going to be busy. <laughs> um, they're also going to be extra busy because Carlos Bocanegra is absolutely getting sent off. <laughs> but I do have two forwards who are going to um, shoulder some of the donkey work as well, to be perfectly honest. They're, yeah, they're to be fair. Lines of defence. Well, my centre-backs are going to be under the, the the instruction, no fucking about, lads, just send it long. <laughs> do not play out. Yeah. Don't get pressed. Who's um, your manager? My manager is a man who proved in 11 years at Everton <laughs> that you don't need trophies to be a winner, but he is a winner. He is a winner. David Moyes. Right. Decent. And, and there is crossover between the leagues that these two guys have managed in. But I think on the balance of the colour silver, I might have you beaten here. I've gone for Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's fair to say that. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, uh, former Everton legend himself. Um, yes. If we, if we base it just on the tenures at Everton, I mean, Moyes is clearly the choice. But if we base it on everything else, it's Carlo. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So, Who's uh, your bench? Right. The bench, uh, we only got three. We were only allowed yeah. three subs. So I've gone for versatility and defense to cover right the way across, which was correctly called in the Discord group, apparently, uh, Carl Jenkinson. I've then gone for a central midfielder and a forward of very, very different types of player, very, very different levels of skill. I've gone for Juan Carlos Valeron, and I've gone for Carl Court. I was hoping Carl Court would get a mention because I've always been a fan. But my favourite Carl Court story is when Shola Amiobi was once asked what his nickname was at Newcastle. And he said, I don't have one. I'm just Shola. And they said, well, what does Bobby Robson call you? And he responded, Carl Court. So (laughs) that's my favorite Carl Court story. Uh, My bench is more functional, but I do have a goal threat. So my, my defender is David Louise, who... Probably should have started, but I decided to hold him back. Uh, I've got David Batty as my, you know, when, when Davids get sent off, I can just throw on Batty to get sent off. Mm. And then I couldn't really find a forward that I liked because I could have gone David Nugent, but his international goal, he nicked off somebody else. So I'm not having him. 
Uh, I could have gone David Dunn of Blackburn as a, as a wing option. I decided not to. I decided to leave Jonathan David off completely. And I just went with David Platt as a goal-scoring midfielder who, if one of the strikers needs to come off, Platty could play just off the other striker and get you a goal. So we're looking early David Platt, like Aston Villa through Barry. Yeah, 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 Platt from basic, Platt before Arsenal is what we're looking at here. Very decent. I think you've got me beaten in the name. In the name. I think so. I think so. <laughs> right. On to the next question, which... Who did this come in from, Guy? Oh, it was, was Isaac. It was Isaac Gilding. I was like four tabs away. I was trying to unmute. <laughs> Isaac Gilding sent us this one in, which is basically, I have to pick an all-time Irish 11 plus subs. Carl has to pick an all-time relegated team plus subs. I assume we're picking managers here as well. Um, So I've just gone for someone that managed Ireland rather than an Irish manager. Is that fine or do I need to go for an Irish manager? No, I think Ireland national team is what yours is. So managed Ireland is fine. Well, you see, I've gone for... Have you got enough for five subs? Uh, I've only picked three, but I can stretch to five very easily. Yeah, we we best stretch to five very easily then. There's a lot of people have been relegated from the Premier League. (laughs) Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Right. Now, I should say, I have taken some liberty here. I have taken the term Irish to mean people from Ireland. And I view our country as a 32-county country. (laughs) I have encompassed the brethren in the north for the purposes of this. Now, I've only taken three of their players in my 16-man squad, but they're three pretty special players. Now, only two of them are in my starting 11. But um, we'll go from there. We'll go from there. Because you get you get all the teams that have ever been relegated from the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, so- I didn't honestly have time to go through every single one of them because, as I say, it's a lot. Um Right, if you beat me on account of either of those two players, I'm going to blame Isaac for not being specific enough. Yeah, that's fine. As long as it's not my fault, I don't really care. (laughs) (laughs) Right, goalkeeper. Let's get started. Who have you got? Right. Are we going to have a bit of a discussion along the way about who we didn't have as well? Yeah, we can do. We can do. So, 
a couple who have been relegated because obviously you go through and you're like, oh my God, I forgot he played that. Oh my God, I forgot he existed. And oh my God, how was he ever a footballer? Those kinds of things as, as you're looking through the squads. So a couple of really big names um, from, let's say, the international scene. Uh, Julio Cesar, Brazil captain, um, sorry, Brazil goalkeeper for a long time. And I was obviously relegated with QPR. Uh, England's number one for a long time. Paul Robinson relegated with Blackburn. Martin de Kallenberg was there. And the one I came very, very close to choosing was Nigel Martin, who I think was a great goalkeeper. Great goalkeeper. Uh, great, great he goalkeeper. He was relegated to the Crystal Palace, but yeah, very, very good keeper. But for overall ability um, and how long he played at the highest level he got to, probably overall was slightly not as good as Nigel Martin, but for longevity and for consistency and for just sheer very, very goodness for a lot of crap teams, I've actually gone for Mark Schwarzer. Oh, that's a shout. Yeah, Mark Schwarzer, because when he got relegated, I would say that was Mark Schwarzer probably. He was at a higher level, I would say, than Nigel Martin was when he got relegated. Would that that'd be fair to say, wouldn't it? Probably, yeah. I mean, I've, I've more or less picked the team by how good they were at any point in their career rather than relegated. Mm. Nigel Martin was, was relegated with Leeds, wasn't he? Uh, with Palace. Oh, with Palace, with Palace, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Schwartz went down with Middlesbrough. It is actually crazy that, like, Nigel Martin was was a great goalkeeper, like, genuinely fantastic. And if it hadn't been for David Seaman and Tim Flowers and how strong the English goalkeeper situation was in the 90s and early 2000s, he'd probably have 60 or 70 caps. Um, but it is nuts that he was still at Crystal Palace up until he thir- turned 30. Um, that no one took a chance. Like Liverpool, for example, flailing around with David James in goal. It's it's always weird to me that we didn't go and get him because he was out there ready to be picked off. Um, I, I, liked, I liked the Mark Schwarzer shout. I was always a big fan. I liked him at Borough when they signed him. And he... His longevity is incredible, and um, he was rarely like just seemed to rarely make many mistakes. So, who is yours? So, the two that I was originally considering one is Shea Given, who's obviously a, a long time Premier League goalkeeper, had himself quite a respectable career, uh, came through. At Celtic, then went to Blackburn, had a couple of loans. Obviously, Newcastle is where he's best known. Then he spent time with, with Man City and with Villa, uh, Borough, and then Stoke as a, as a reserve. 134 caps for Ireland. Um, so for, you know, 20 years, he was in the Ireland squad. And he was, he was pretty reliable for Ireland. Now, he was going to miss out to Packy Bonner, who's the goalkeeper of my childhood for Ireland. 15 years in the national team, 80 caps, incredible career with Celtic from the late 70s through to the late 90s. A very important part of all of Ireland's success from Euro 88, the Italian 90, USA 94. He was the guy and his penalty save in Genoa at Italian 90 is one of the highlights of my childhood watching football. So I was going to go with him. And then I realized that I was 
discounting the brothers in the north. And I think one of the greatest goalkeepers that has ever lived is Pat Jennings, who might be the only person adored unanimously by Spurs and Arsenal fans. So I've gone with him. 119 caps for Northern Ireland, a career that spanned 22 years with the North. Just a phenomenal goalkeeper. Incredible shot stopper. Unbelievably brave. One of the best 1v1 that we've ever seen. Was ahead of his time in terms of his ability with his feet. So I've gone with him. Yeah, um, I mean, an unbelievable name. I mean, many people perhaps listening would not have seen him or or maybe known too much about him if it's just sort of the, the old Liverpool sort of side that we see. But, you know, if you play well over 400 games for Spurs and then move to Arsenal and then you stay there and it probably, I don't know if as impressive, but as good, certainly, um, mm. for, for, for as long as he was, especially it's, I mean, it should speak all the volumes you need, basically. Um, he's still spoken about in most football circles as being one of the hardest uh, goalkeepers to beat, one of the hardest people to play against, even though probably not that big for a goalkeeper either. No, but 5'11", 6 foot. Yeah. Um, um, he was football writer's footballer of the year in 72-73. And then he was PFA player's player of the year in 75-76. Hmm. So... Find a goalkeeper who was viewed by a large portion of the viewing public and his fellow professionals as the best player in the league on two separate occasions. It's going to be very hard. So I've I've gone with him, and obviously, look, his career with Northern Ireland, he was he was phenomenal. Um, a bit a big part of the the growth of football in Northern Ireland and. Helped them get to the the ninety the nineteen eighty two World Cup, conceded only one goal in the three group stage games, and was very very good. And even that, at that point, he was thirty seven years of age, I think, as that tournament started. So, you know, he was past his his best years, but still more than good enough. So, yeah, I've gone with him. Right, <clears throat> what have you got in defence then? What formation are you playing, incidentally? Uh, I've gone four four two. Okay, that's more or less. Because it made it easiest for me to put players in. Yeah. Do you, do you know what? For for Jennings, we should also sort of relate it to Liverpool-wise. It wasn't an immediate takeover. I think it was like two years later or something like that. But the goalkeeper who Spurs eventually had as a long-term number one after Jennings was Ray Clements. Ray Clements, yeah. Yeah, which, it was... Again, should sort of highlight just how high he he was regarded, certainly at that club, um, and certainly at that time. So uh, a, a huge presence. Um yeah, I'm, I'm well, four two three one four four two sort of thing. So it's fine. We'll we'll match up more or less. Uh, there wasn't so many fullbacks that I could find, but definitely quite a few central defenders who were who were pretty good. So I'm just going to give you my four who start, um, and we can go over if there's time for for some who got left out. So Steve Finnan at right back, who was relegated with Portsmouth, and uh, who we obviously know very very well. Someone who we know even better is at left-back Andy Robertson, who got relegated with Hull. Yeah. And then much more old school for my central defensive partnership, uh, Des Walker, who I know you loved. Love uh, Sheffield Wednesday he was with when he went down. And then I've gone with, he was obviously better known as a left-back, but played centre-back much later in his career, Stuart Pearce, who went down with Nottingham Forest. Yeah, 
that's a great back four. Do you know, you've got a bit of everything there. You've got ball players. You've got good recovery pace. You've got that front-footed ball-winning type in Stuart Pearce. You've obviously got really good fullbacks. I mean, Steve Finn and seven, seven and a half out of ten every week. Andy Robertson was a model of consistency for years. Des Walker was the same, just that understated model of consistency who just rarely had a bad game, rarely got beat 1v1. Des Walker, the, the closest thing to him is probably what Joe Gomez would have been, if not for the injuries. Joe probably had a higher ceiling than Des. Des had some injury problems of his own. Um, but that's kind of the comp I'd make, is that this, for just similar style of play, uh, Joe Gomez to Des Walker. Des was more reliable defensively, but surrounded by a bit of dross there at, at Sheffield Wednesday towards the end. But a former former Forest teammate of uh, of Stuart Pearce before he went to, before Walker went to Italy mm-hmm. and spent I think one or two seasons there and then came back. I like your defense. I do. Three um, out of four captains as well. Say again. Three out of four are captains as well. True. Yeah. Very. Very true. So you've got good organization, good leadership there. Um, so I've had to cheat a little bit here because I struggled to find two fullbacks that I really wanted. Dennis Irwin was a no-brainer, and he, for me, remains the best fullback I've seen play in the Premier League in terms of the all-round package. So I've got him in. And the thing with Irwin is he could play either side and was brilliant on either side. But I couldn't find anyone at right back or left back that I really wanted. Like I looked at like Ian Hart, Steve Staunton, Gary Kelly, Chris Hutton, Chris Morris. Nobody from the North really stood out. I considered, could I stick Johnny Evans at left back? He would bring down the overall quality of the team. But I was lucky enough that because I'm only playing two in centre midfield, I have an odd one out because we've got four, really, four great options in there, but three that were definitely going to be in the team. Um, so I've picked John Giles at right back. Now, it's it's we're going back here. John Giles was an absolutely vital part of those great Leeds teams under Don Revy. Fantastic ball player, also one of the toughest players to ever play. I, I don't think he'd have had any... He played in central defence at times in his career, so I don't think he'd have any problem playing at fullback and doing a job for me. So I've got him. Obviously, then Irwin goes the other side, and he's he's just... He's phenomenal. Dennis Irwin was phenomenal. There's, there's no part of his game that wasn't he wasn't good at. He very rarely got troubled by an opposition winger until the, the latter years of his career, particularly at Wolves. Great on the ball, great defensively, super intelligent, understated, great set-piece taker, could cross off either foot, so could gallop down the wing and cross on the run on his left foot or cut back in on his right foot and deliver quality. Scored a lot of penalties in his career, so speaks to his mentality vital to everything United accomplished in the 90s. Uh, so, yeah, I've got him the other side. And then my centre-backs, again, it's old because, let's be honest now, the golden era of Irish football is a long time ago. This first name kind of precedes the golden era, but fits perfectly in the golden era of Liverpool, which is Mark Lawrence. 
um, one of the best centre-backs English football ever saw alongside Alan Hansen and just a, a genuinely tremendous defender who could also play in midfield. I could have stuck him at fullback and I considered it. I considered playing him at fullback because he played there during his career and playing David O'Leary. But I wanted to, I wanted to get the three midfielders in. So it had to be Giles at fullback. But Mark Lawrenson, uh, I just, I, I, I think he had to be in. He was just brilliant. And if it wasn't for that cruel Achilles injury that kind of wrecked his career, I, I think he'd be even more beloved than he actually, like he, he's done himself some damage because he's an idiot as a pundit. But as a player, he was just, he was incredible. And my partner for him is a no-brainer. This was the first name on the team sheet. It's Paul McGrath. He's the best Irish footballer of all time. Um, 83 caps, was incredible for United, uh, drank his way out of Manchester United, moved to Villa, was the best centre-back in the early years of the Premier League, was footballer of the year in the first season of the Premier League, couldn't train ever, but still phenomenal week in, week out, was so good even at the age of 34 years that he went to... USA 94 put at the time the best player in the world Roberto Baggio in his pocket and still had time to carry Phil Babb to such a point that Liverpool mistook him for a good player and spent nearly four million pounds to sign Phil Babb um babysat Babb and Gary Kelly through that World Cup and made them look incredible and they never looked as good in the rest of their careers so yeah, Paul McGrath, undeniably uh, going to be in my team, in my defence. And I know with him and Lawrence and I've got the perfect balance because we've seen, they played together for starters for Ireland, but we also saw McGrath play the midfield more often than back then. But McGrath similarities to Hansen defensively, very, very strong. So yeah, Paul McGrath, Mark Lawrence in the middle, John Giles and Dennis Irwin flanking them. Yeah, can't argue about the partnership at the back at all. That's probably the two I would have picked out off the top of my head, to be honest. Um, Lawrence and like others, I think, you know, when you go from one generation to the next and ours probably bridges the Lawrence and, and the current generation. So we yeah. saw, but we also saw what he does afterwards. People who come afterwards obviously wouldn't necessarily have seen him and would only see him doing his second career of, you know, the television and the, the media work and probably won't have a good opinion of him if we're being no. honest. Certainly won't have a great opinion of him, which the people who have only seen him play would have without question. So definitely I think a lot of former players or opinions of former players get skewed by what they see in their post-playing life and that somehow seems to affect what they're seen as as players as well, but it, it isn't correct, basically. Um just on Johnny Giles, I mean, not not a player, obviously, I saw a huge amount of. He was retired by the time I was born, basically. But through video and you know, playback of certain matches and stuff, you can see the type of player he is. But again, just to give a bit of context, he was one of Matt Busby's players at Man United. Yeah. Um, he was, it was him and Billy Bremner, wasn't it? The really, really yeah. good league midfield, which was, you know, basically feared around Europe. And if you got um, through them, you had to go through Norman Hunter, who was going to chop yes. you in half. So you were, exactly. you were fucked either way. Yeah. Um, so, yes, a, a formidable player. I doubt he'd have too much issue. I believe he was voted Ireland's best player. I don't know if it was 
you know, before Roy Keane's absolute peak, possibly. So, yeah, it would have uh, been before Keane's peak. Yeah, so maybe, you know, one or the other for, for certain, again, generations, but unquestionably a very, very good player. Um, into midfield then. So you said you're kind of four two three one four four two. Who's your who's your midfield two? Right. So I guess we're going to overlap on this particular player, Roy Keane, Nottingham Forest relegation, Republic yeah. of Ireland international. Yeah, absolutely. He's 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 nailed on for my team as well. The, the yeah. best captain and leader the Premier League has ever seen. Yeah, um, I don't think we had to go into too much depth on him. I think he's an unbelievable player. Um, alongside him, I had a big choice to be honest, and. A, acknowledging the fact that some of these, when they got relegated, where, let's say, their powers had waned somewhat. Um, I'm going, obviously, on how good they were at any point during their career. I've eventually gone for Brian Robson, relegated with Middlesbrough, who was you know, probably on the, along the same lines as some of the ones we've just been speaking about, Keane and, and Giles and all the rest of them. He was just such a good all-rounder, could really, really play, obviously noted as one of the best leaders English football has ever seen. Um, tackling superb, work ethic superb, can play really well in both halves of the pitch. Uh, I think him and Roy Keane alongside each other, other than the fact that we've you know literally been able to see them play for the same team, is is a combination I think would work nicely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really unfortunate that Brian Robson has sort of been lost in history as to how good he was. Like, the modern generation seemed to have no idea of how good he was. But, like, he was Gerard-esque at West Brom, could do absolutely everything, carried that team, went to United, did exactly the same. But unfortunately for Brian Robson, he had so many injury problems later in his career, uh, especially at international tournaments. Didn't he get hurt at Euro 88 and then again for the World Cup in 90. Right before, right before it, yeah. It just plagued with, with shoulder problems and different things. But, like, he legitimately, I would say if you're ranking the greatest English midfield, now central midfielders of all time, it's him. Then I would say it's Glenn Hoddle. And then everybody else comes after that. Now, I would, I've always said, I, I think when you look at Gerrard, you're looking more attacking midfield and right midfield to get the very best of him. So it's not a direct comparison, but had Gerard been managed differently in the early years, I think Brian Robson was the comp for him. I just, he's, he's so often overlooked. He's never mentioned in these conversations anymore of, of the best English midfielders. It's always, it's always Lampard, Gerard Scholes. And I'm, I'm sorry, but Brian Robson was a better player than, than any of them in, in central midfield. I would say Gerard as an overall player was better, but it's not, it's not a huge gap. Like, it's not a huge gap. And the thing is, with, with Robson, like, he he won two league titles right at the end of his tenure with, with United. But it's forgotten that in those dark days of the 80s for Manchester United, he was carrying them week in, week out, coming up with, with big goals and big performances. And, you know, you look at, he was fairly bulletproof in his West Brom days, injury-wise. And, you know, he, he finishes off there, nine goals, 11 goals, 11 goals, joins United. His first full season, United, 15 goals to midfield, 18 goals to midfield, 14 goals to midfield. And then he gets injured. 
he still gets eight and 28, comes back. He has three years where he manages to stay fit. And again, he's he's really productive. And then from about 1989 onwards, he's 32 and the injuries really start to just, just chip away at him. And it was always the knock on him. Oh, he's never won a league title. He couldn't lead United's league titles. Now, they won league titles. He wasn't a regular starter. He was a squad player for those league titles, but he was still an important player to have around there. And Roy Keane credits him and Steve Bruce with teaching him how to be a leader, teaching him how to take charge of a dressing room and how to take charge of a game. And he said that when he went to United, he used to, he was a box-to-box player, more of an attack-minded player even than defensive player. And Brian Robson pulled him one day and said, look, that bullshit might fly at Forest, but this is Man United and you're going to need to do everything here if you want to be a success. And he credits Robson with the impact he had on his career. So, yeah, Brian Robson. If you, if you could have got prime, prime Robson and Prime Keane together, it would have been absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Some big similarities there in their careers as well in terms of, you know, late season injuries and... Uh, sorry, late career injuries and the way that they did develop from much more attack-minded players to all-round. So, all-rounders. And then in Keane's case, obviously became very defensive in, in latter years. Yeah. But also they both had spectacular fallings out with Alex Ferguson, um, <laughs> yes. which, which is great. My second midfielder is, um, is Liam Brady. So mm. obviously spent a large chunk of his career with Arsenal. And then went to Italy and was one of the few players that went from England abroad and had great success. So he went to Juve, then Samp, then Inter, then Ascoli, and then came back and finished out his career with with West Ham. Um, 72 caps for Ireland. Didn't always get on all that well with, uh, with Jack Charlton. And missed Euro 88 because he was suspended. Decided he didn't want to play in the qualifiers for Italia 90 because he was, you know, he was in his thirties at that point and he was trying to manage his way through a club career where he'd signed a contract with West Ham and he wanted to give them what he had. And then Charlton refused to pick him for the actual world cup itself, which is such a shame, but one of the best passes of a ball that English football had ever seen. Um, just a, a genuinely outstanding player. And again, there's a younger generation that will only know him and John Giles like Mark Lawrenson for their punditry. 
And Brady can come across as quite a sourpuss in his punditry, but he knows the game. He was a great, great player. Um, so yeah, I've got Keenan, Keenan Brady. You've got Keenan Robson. That would be, that would be a, a hell battle. of a battle. A hell a battle. Of a battle. <laughs> right. Um, um, is, have you got anyone who just missed out in your midfield before we go to elsewhere? I do. So the player who, who's just missed out is Norman Whiteside, who now he played midfield and up front, but I, I always thought he was more suited to midfield. Probably the most, the second most talented player ever to come out of Northern Ireland. Was great for United for a long time, but like with, like with McGrath and and Robson. To be fair, though, Robson managed to sort himself out. He was part of that big drinking culture hmm. at Manchester United, and and Ferguson decided that the the talent wasn't enough to overcome what you know the problems that were caused now. Norman Whiteside's career did not become anything close to what it should have been. Um, scores the winner in, a, in an FA Cup final as a teenager and it is set to be one of the biggest stars in England, has some issues with his knee, has some issues off the pitch. Ferguson Shanghai is out of the club at, at only 24. Like he hadn't even hit his peak yet. He goes to Everton, has two years there, but his knee is just a mess, and he ends up retired at 26, which is such a shame. But from a talent point of view, I had to include Norman Whiteside. Hmm. That's fair. Um, have you got subs that you've named, or are we leaving subs till the end? Or have you- We'll do subs at the end. We'll do yeah. subs at the end. I've got Whiteside on my bench. and. Okay. I've got white. Well, we can do goalkeeper defense, and yeah, you know, we'll just do the subs at the end. We'll go do the subs at the end. Who have you got on the wings? Okay, um, on the wings, I've got in from outs. Let's say um, there are quite a few to choose from here. To be perfectly honest, quite a few very good, or you know, quite good. But I think these two were comfortably a level above at their best. So I've got. Uh, one who went down with Brian Robson. I should probably point out Brian Robson only just got in because he played once in that season. He was player manager and got relegated. So he only just gets in, but he does. So one of his much more regular players was Janinho. Uh, so he's one of my players from the sides. And the other one is one of my fa- favourite uh, mid-90s or late-90s Premier League footballers, Georgie Kinkladzi. He was actually relegated twice for Derby and Man City. Pity and then Derby. Yeah, I loved... I, that. They They would have been my picks as well. Like... Janino, do you like do you remember the excitement when Janino yes. came to Borough because he played in that that tournament was it it wasn't it was played in England Le-Turnois, I think it? was it the tournament and it was like the first time him and Roberto Carlos and Edmundo and a few others had sort of been become known to those who you know didn't know anything about Brazilian football which was all of us at that time mm. and he was just such an exciting little playmaker and it was it just it seemed inconceivable that Middlesbrough could be the club to get him. And there's a brilliant book uh, by Tom Flight called You're Joking, Aren't You? Written about Borough in that time. Um, and It's such a good book. And it talks about the signing of him and just like how they went about getting him, the excitement involved in his signing. And I, I, I'll just always remember watching Football Focus on the, the Saturday morning before his debut 
and they were up in Middlesbrough because it was such a big thing. And there was, like, you'd swear it was like just a really cold, obviously, version of fucking Rio or something. There's Brazil flags everywhere. They had wigs and costumes and everything. It was just, it was really, really cool. And then King Kladze, I mean, as talented a player as we've probably, as talented a dribbler as we've probably ever seen in England, seemed at times to forget he had teammates. But was it Southampton he scored that goal against? Yes. He picks it up wide on the right or and halfway. And it's basically like it's Maradona Messi-esque. If you didn't know who it was, because the footage is not great, he just he beats about seven players. And you'd swear it was Messi or Maradona you're watching. It, it's he was unbelievably good. Yeah. So they're they're really fun to have. Um I think my wingers are fun. Oh actually who 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 missed out? Who just missed out? Because there's obviously some other options there as well. Oh, loads. Um, so, all right, so from the centre midfielders, I'll leave my sub uh, until the end. But the one who was going to be sub until I realised Robson had played once was Vim Yonk, who was at Sheffield Wednesday. Probably not his best at Sheffield Wednesday, but he was really, really good beforehand, Dutch midfielder. A um, couple from Crystal Palace, who uh, I, I very much enjoyed at different times in their career. Thomas Brolin, who we've spoken about before from yeah. Sweden. And Sasa Churchich, who I thought was a really, really good player. Um Less okay. spectacular, but still very, very good in Premier League terms. Nicky Butt was relegated with Birmingham. And another one of the Middlesbrough crew from the same year, Emerson, who was relegated that year. Loved him as well. Absolutely loved him. <laughs> um, Complete non-event the- if he didn't have the ball. But he was so much fun. Sassage is a good shout, though. Like, Bolton, Villa, and then Palace. Yeah, And then he went to America. And I think he was basically retired by, like, 27, 28 and then, like, years later, all these stories come out about this, like, life of debauchery he was living. It was just an absolute head case. Um, a couple of the attacking mids, let's say, or wide mids, uh, there's a big variance of these have been relegated, I have to say. Uh, Kevin Prince Boateng and Zoltan Guerra from the uh, overseas contingent, let's yeah. say, of different kinds. Uh, Martin Petrov, really, really good. Gaston yeah. Ramirez, one of the most talented attacking midfielders in South America for a while. Relegated with Hull, of course. Um, from the English side, more recently, Harvey Barnes, uh, but more excitingly, Trevor Sinclair with QPR at the time was one of the most exciting yeah. sort of second-line attackers. He's another one I wanted us to sign for years. Yeah, well, Trevor Sinclair for ages. He was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and David Dunn, who you actually mentioned in the last round of games for, for your lineup, he yeah. misses out for mine as well, but he was relegated twice too, Birmingham Blackburn. Yeah. I was, I've talked about this on two-footed um, when I do the, the nostalgia shows and like that, that couple of years at Blackburn where they had David Dunn, Damian Duff and Matt Janssen yeah. as this really, really exciting young trio. And obviously Duff went on and had a really good career with, with Chelsea, Newcastle and Fulham. David Dunn never quite it, like, reached his potential. And then Matt Janssen obviously had the horrible uh, accident to put him in a coma. And then when he came back, he just wasn't the same player. But I, I, I do, I, I love thinking back of a player, like times where there was just these little groups of players at certain clubs that were really exciting. Like you mentioned Trevor Sinclair, like that QPR team with him, Les Ferdinand, Kevin Gallen, Andy Sinton. They were, they were, Andy Impey was, Andy Impey was brilliant. Managed by Jerry Francis with his, uh, with his, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Mullet. Um, <laughs> uh, Danny Shitu at centre back, if you don't mind. 
<laughs> and, and alongside alongside him, another one who I actually had on my list for defence, Danny Maddox. I don't know if you remember him, but he was really good centre back. Really good. Like that was a that QPR team finished like top half a couple of times. Yeah, and I've always I've always had an affinity for them since then, and I love Loftus Road. It's one of the most fun grounds to go to because it's so tight. Um, right, my wingers were straightforward. Um, Damien Duff on one wing. Good. And I've gone now. I have three wingers, so I've picked one of them to play up front because I only had one striker that I really wanted in the team. Um, so I've gone Damien Duff on the right wing to cut in on his left foot, and then I've gone Steve Highway, Liverpool great, on the other wing, um, which will tell you which winger I put up front. I, I imagine. <laughs> um, but yeah, why I, I didn't think- you go first there then? Hmm. Why didn't you go first for your forwards with with? who your first forward is? Well, my first forward is George Best. There you go. Who, I mean, there's two ways to look at George Best. One is you can say he's one of the greatest players of all time, which is true. And the other is that he's one of the greatest wastes of talent of all time, which is also true. George Best was European Footballer of the Year. He was the best team, in the Uni- best player in a United team that had prime Bobby Charlton and prime Dennis Lowell that won a European Cup, won multiple league titles. He was a football footballing phenomenon. Like in an era with Pele and Eusebio and Beckenbauer, he stood toe-to-toe with all of them and was argued about as the best player in the world. He's one of the greatest players ever, and yet he never ever reached his full potential because he was basically retired by 25, 26. Um, it just didn't have the, the dedication, whatever it was, the, the, the discipline, you know, obviously, obviously his drinking is, is well documented and it's eventually what, what, you know, what caused his downfall and cost him his life. But George Best was phenomenal. So, you know, I've got him floating off Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane is Ireland's greatest ever goal scorer. Um, 60 plus goals for a largely shit international team, but vital in big moments. Like gave us great moments in the 2002 World Cup, which, you know, we, we went into really confident, really happy because we had a really good team. And then obviously Roy Keane walks out and goes home because he falls out with McCarthy, which is... I would say 70% Mick McCarthy's fault and 30% Roy Keane's fault, but, you know, the blame is shared. And we were all so down after that. And then Robbie Keane was able to lift the entire nation. So uh, he gave us that. He scored a bunch of goals. Obviously was, you know, lucky enough to play for all 43 of his boyhood clubs, which not many people get to do. Um, but, yeah, so I'm happy with my with my team because I've got, got Duff one wing, Highway the other. I've got best off Keane. I've got Brady in midfield. I've got Irwin and Giles. There's a lot of football been played on the floor with this team, which is nice. However, it contradicts what my manager is going to demand that they do. So, you know, I was going to say it's decidedly un-Irish in its approach. Yeah. <laughs> so, who have you got up front? Up front, um, I think I can name one of them. I mean, you're welcome to have a guess. There was a lot of choice here. I'd be. I wouldn't. There is a lot of choice, but if we go by the best season ever had by a player who was then relegated, I think Fabrizio Ravanelli has to be 
certainly at least in the conversation. He's very much in the conversation. I haven't gone for him in the 11. Ooh. And if we're going for all-time great seasons, I mean, Andy Johnson's 300 penalties in just 34 matches isn't bad either. It's a fair shout. He's not in the conversation as it happens. Um, now, I've gone for... I wanted one who would lead the line, let's say, and one who would play off. Um, so I've gone for one who played off, who... <sighs> I'm not sure English football really saw the best of him on a consistent basis. And yet when he was good, he was up there with the best, best forwards in England. And that's Moran Kukanu. Uh, he was relegated with Portsmouth and West Brom, but obviously he was with Arsenal. He was you know, playing over in, uh, in Italy and in, in the Netherlands. It was mm. just one of the most technically unbelievable players to watch. I mean, I suppose... Was it the Arsenal hat-trick against Chelsea is what probably yeah. a lot of people would remember him for. But even at like West Brom, there was still games that he would just run the show without seeming to move a lot, but just such good vision, such good uh, first touch as control, could pick a pass, really, really good finisher when he was anywhere near the box and West Brom got you know more than one person in the, in the attacking half of the pitch. Uh, just a player I used to really, really enjoy watching. Lovely. And I wished he could play more, but... Obviously, when he was at Arsenal, the role he had was basically Bergkamp's, and you know he wasn't going to get that role. He also had obviously, um, you know, a heart issue. He wasn't the quickest, all that kind of stuff. So there was there was circumstances perhaps stopping him, but also maybe just his style of play was not always the pick for for certain managers. But um, technically incredible, yeah, like, brilliant player, phenomenal brilliant. at Ajax in that that European Cup winning team. Yeah. Um, obviously, then went to Inter, had the heart issue, missed a full year, and people thought his career was over. Works his way back, ends up at Arsenal, and he was vital for Arsenal from in that golden era of, of under Wenger. And then, like you said, he was, he was pretty good at West Brom. He had some great moments at, at Portsmouth. He was didn't he, he was there when they won the FA Cup, wasn't he? Possibly so. He Almost was, certainly was. He was lucky. And, um, uh, yeah, love Noanke Kano. Good shout. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. And he is playing off Pierre Van Hoydonk, who was, I think, oh, a great He was an unbelievable number nine for a while. That is a shout and a half. Pierre Van Hoydonk obviously became known to the British footballing public with his spell at Celtic, where he was just 
he was a freak of nature up there. He was just so much better than everybody else. Then he went to Forest, and then he went he went on strike. Yeah, which was great crack. Um, oh, that's a great shout. No, Pierre van Hoydonk is absolutely, absolutely a warranted shout. He was tremendously good. Like six fives. Like first of all, your Fords are both six five six six. Yes. And both outrageously good technically. I suppose if if for, for those that didn't see Van Hoydonk, now this player is better than he was, but like stylistically, build wise, skill set wise, you're probably looking at Zlatan. Zlatan, yeah, Zlatan's the absolute comparison. Yeah, like six four, built like a like a tank, incredibly strong, great hold up play, but immense technical ability. And, and even like set, goals pieces, set pieces, both of them take a lot of as well. Mm. Aerially, he was very, very good as well. Um, he, ju- he just, aside from probably short, short range acceleration, there wasn't a lot that he didn't have, to be honest. No, he was great. He was genuinely great. Yeah, I, I love that. I love the, the Van Hoydonk shout. Um, Remember Van Hoydonk come back off his strike and scoring on his first game back <laughs> and turning around to celebrate and all of his teammates had just ignored him. They just ignored him and got off back up the pitch. <laughs> walked back up the halfway line. Oh, uh, yeah. And Match of the Day made a point of highlighting that as well. Right. Um, I'll give you my bench. You can give me yours. I've got, I've got my, with Packy Bonner as my backup goalkeeper. I've got David O'Leary and Kevin, Mer- Kevin Moran as my, Backup defenders, I suppose. Kevin Moran was is the only man who won an, an All Ireland football championship and an FA Cup. He's also was the first man sent off in an FA Cup final. Physically, he was an absolute beast. Even though he was only about five ten, he would bully centre a centre forwards left, right, and centre. Great recovery pace, could play in midfield, so was comfortable on the ball. Just a really good all round defender. Uh, and I talked about O'Leary last time. He was. A Rolls Royce footballer at centre back. Um, I've gone with Norman Whiteside as my fourth sub. Talked about him. Now I've gone early on my fifth sub, uh, Carl. I've gone real early on this one. This is um, this is a prediction more than a recognition of what he's actually done in his career to date. Because this kid is only eighteen. And only has six caps. But I've gone with Evan Ferguson because I think he's really special. So I've gone with Big Ev. So to recap, no Ronnie Whelan. No. Ronnie Whelan, unfortunately, misses out. Ronnie Whelan, I was considering at fullback because he did play fullback for Liverpool. He did. So I considered Whelan at fullback. Not not well, we might add in here. No, not not very well. Not very well. Like, I suppose I could leave out Damien Duff, pop him on the bench, put Giles back into midfield and play Whelan at left back and and shift Irwin across. Duff is a lot more fun to have in the team than Ronnie Whelan. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I it's it's a full acknowledgement that Ronnie Whelan was is one of the best players Ireland ever had. But I also have to leave out Ray Houghton, who I wanted to put in. That was my next pick, yep. I, I, like, I loved Ray Houghton. And just a yeah. couple of other Irish ones who played a lot. Uh, Niall Quinn. 
Yeah, it came down to him or Evan Ferguson. Because it was, well, I looked at the strikers from kind of the 80s and 90s. So you had your Tony Galvin, Sean Kelly, John Aldridge, Tony Cascarino, and Niall Quinn. And Niall Quinn is the pick of the bunch as as an all-round player. Aldridge, obviously, the goal record is incredible, but Quinn was the better all-round footballer. But I want—I just wanted to put Evan Ferguson in more to be silly than anything else because I do. He—he he is the the great hope of Irish football now. Yeah. So I'm putting all the pressure on him. Right. Um, Moran over Steve Staunton. Yeah, just a better all round player, I think, and more, a bit more. Even though like Staunton could play centre back, left back, and in midfield, I think Moran was just a better player. And where's Matty Holland? <laughs> Well, we need someone to, you know, fetch the cones after training. So, you know, Matty Holland and uh, God, Glenn Whelan and so many. Oh, I, you know, he's the one fella that would never, ever get in the team if I was picking it. If you were picking the team, if you were picking the team, in fact, you're not even picking the team. You're just picking centre forward, but you're only given the choice of Jonathan Walters and... Guy's favourite, who he wanted one of us to desperately pick in one of these two teams, Shane, Shane Long. Long. I'm picking Who's Shane Long. Long. I'm picking, picking Shane, Shane Long. Long over Jonathan Walters. I hate Jonathan Walters. But I hate it's not Long. even You hate Shane Long as a player. I think Jonathan Walters is a prick. So I'm going with him that I'm, I'm leaving out because Shane Long, by all accounts, is a really nice guy. I, Jonathan Walters just, to me, comes across an absolute arsehole. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say Shane Long, and I also think you know if if we look at their contributions for Ireland, I think Shane Long did more for Ireland than Jonathan Walters did, because he scored big goals in big games for Ireland, like he did for you know a plethora of clubs. He didn't score many, but when he did score, it was against the big teams, and. He scored against England for us. He scored against Germany for us. Scored the winner against Germany, who were the reigning world champions in 2016. Um, another striker who could feel a little bit hard done by it not been included is Kevin Doyle, who I always liked. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would go Shane Long over Walter. Shane Long scored 17 and 88 for Ireland. The other fellow got 14 and 54. So the other fellow has a better scoring record. But I, I would just rather have Shane Long. And while we're on the subject of scoring records uh, for, for listeners north of the wall, uh, David Healy? Yeah. I mean, David Healy was, was one. Um, what's the other fellow's name? Played for Played for Blackpool for years. Uh, as a Ford, what was his name? Jimmy Quinn. Was it Jimmy Quinn played for Blackpool? No, he didn't play for Blackpool. Why did I think he played for Blackpool? Played for Blackburn, Swindon, Leicester, Bradford. Played for everybody else except Blackpool. I don't know why he thought he played for Blackpool. Every club. Uh, but Jimmy Quinn was one I considered because when I was a kid, he was he was really good. He was probably their their biggest goal threat. I, I considered. You know, just to be fair, I did consider Stephen Davis uh, for a midfield role. He's just not as good as the Irish lad, as, as the, the, the lads from from the south. 
Um, considered Kyle Lafferty as well, because you know, he, he was quite decent. Uh, Ian Dowie, without the most oh. handsome man in football. Um, was prolific. There was a Northern Ireland centre back. Aaron Hughes. Aaron Hughes is one. Jerry Taggart, that's who I was thinking of. Cool. I think we can, by this point, suggest that, yes, acknowledge that you might have considered them on numbers, but not really on ability. No, exactly. Exactly. Like they're, they're just they're just not getting in. I mean, I, I think I took the three. Jennings and Best were obvious, and I think Whiteside for talent, if not for you know overall career, I think he has to be in. Um, and I just don't think there's a there's a good case for any of the rest. And and Will Grigg, who has undeniably the best <laughs> song in all of football, he's made the biggest international impact. Like he just it was awful for Northern Ireland when he played for them. <laughs> awful, and he retired from them. Well, he didn't retire; he was just not picked after he was twenty six. But yeah, I, I Will Grigg for the, for the song. You're absolutely having Will Grigg. It, it's it's an outrage that uh, West Ham have ripped it off for Jared Bone, but it is what it is. Not just them. I think there's about 60 con- uh, clubs up and down the country seeing that these days, and certainly every European team match seems to have it as well. So. Mm. Anyway, um, my subs, I didn't pick a sub goalkeeper because there were too many outfielders I wanted. Uh, so my defensive Sub is Gareth Southgate. I believe people are probably oh, familiar with him. He was a very good centre-back in his day. Uh, very good. Palace also played in midfield for uh, Aston Villa back in the day as well. Um, I think he was just about, maybe just after when uh, McGrath was there. Possibly just after, wasn't it? He was basically signed to replace McGrath. Yeah, yeah that's right. Him and Ugo Echiog for quite a long time there. Yeah. Um, uh, Burra as well, they were together. Yes. Exactly so, yeah. Um, so in midfield, bumped to the bench because of Brian Robson's one-match inclusion, uh, otherwise would have been in, and my midfield would have been just as good. Mohamedou Diara, um, his time with Lyon and then his first two years with Real Madrid were... Unbelievable. unfucking believable yeah. This guy is so, so overlooked when it comes to conversations. Him and Essien at Lyon was maybe <sighs> the best pairing in Europe at the time. They were just... That was just relentless. Monstrous. Unbelievable ball winner, really, really good play, such a shield, great athleticism, positional play was unbelievable. Went to Fulham and got relegated, so there you yeah. go. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. Um, for my attacking midfielder, I went with James Madison, actually, just rele- uh, relegated, obviously, last year with um, Leicester, but you know, just as viable, all the same. And I went with two forwards, one we've obviously touched on, uh, Fabrizio Ravinelli as my number nine, and I wanted a uh, sort of in-between sorts of player. Uh, relegated with Manchester City, played for Liverpool for a little while. We didn't quite get the best of him, but for a long time, this guy was unique in English football in the way that he played up front and didn't play as a number nine. Uh, Nigel Clough, I absolutely loved him. Yeah, I mean, he was relegated twice, wasn't he? Wasn't he relegated with... I'm not sure if he was relegated with Forrest or not. I couldn't find it, but as I said, I didn't was look at every Forrest? single season. But he was relegated with Man City. I think he was relegated with Forrest. He could well have been. I just might have missed him on, on the list for, for the seasons that they were relegated. Yeah, um, such, a, such a good player. So hugely underrated. Had some injury issues at Liverpool as well. I think that it kind of slowed him, but 
Yeah, really, really good player. Very, very underrated for the career. And like, we'll always, always, always have that night at Anfield where we go 3-0 down to United. And it's him that drags us back into that game with two good goals. And then Neil Razor-Ruddock with the equaliser. The most powerful three-yard header in history. <laughs> Ever seen, nearly knocked himself unconscious as well. <laughs> That's those. Um, those were the days. Um, a few forwards who didn't get in: Emil Heskey with Birmingham, shout. Rodrigo with Leeds, Spanish international for a long time, obviously. Uh, Johan Elmander, who I thought was very, very good earlier in his career, he was relegated with Norwich. Ivan Klasnic with Bolton, uh, Uruguay's own Abel Hernandez with Hull, and one for the '95 enthusiasts or mid '90s enthusiasts, Gilles de Bilder from Sheffield Wednesday. Shields the Builder is a good shout. It's a very, very good shout. Um, Who's hmm. your manager? Sorry, did we do them? I can't even remember if we did in the end. You've missed one player, though, that, that I, I want to throw in here, largely because he has the greatest nickname in the history of football. And this guy spent three years with Fulham, and then he spent three years with Portsmouth. And in that last season, Portsmouth were relegated. <laughs> and that is Papa Booba Diop, nicknamed The Wardrobe. What, what a nickname. He is on my list. I just must not have read him out. There's a lot of people on it. <laughs> what a nickname, though. Um, yeah, and sadly passed away a few years ago, but a, a, a tremendous player. Part of that kind of great era of Senegalese players that, that shocked the world at the 2002 World Cup. Just, it was an absolute menace in midfield. Him and Salif Jao at mm. that World Cup looked like the SEN and Diara that we were just talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's, there have been so many great players relegated from the Premier League over the years. Like some, some teams that were just far too good to go down. So yeah, managers, who, who've, who've you got? Uh, I had two choices, really. Uh, I've gone for Terry Venables in the end, who went down to Crystal Palace. Um, I did also consider Ray Wilkins of QPR, but I didn't. I think as a manager, you have to go with Venables. Yeah. um, Because obviously he was was very good with Spurs, did a good job with England. Um, Some perhaps questionable business practices off the field. Um, but but a very good manager, and like obviously prior to the Premier League, he was well. This his Spurs tenure was prior to the Premier League. Um, he was also manager of Barcelona and was was good there and did well at QPR. Imagine imagine Barcelona now. Imagine Xavi quits tomorrow and they decide that they're going to look to QPR for their next manager. Now, obviously QPR were top flight team back then. So take your equivalent. Take let's say Bournemouth. That Barcelona just said, yeah, Iraola, that's who we're going to take. Or actually, the fellow that was there last year kept up, Gary O'Neill, that's who we want. Football was just so different back then. Um, I went with Jack Charlton, obviously, um, mm-hmm. because I, I, I wanted to pick somebody who had managed the, the national team. And Jack Charlton is, is the person solely responsible for rescuing Irish football when he took over in 1986. He'd obviously been manager of Borough. He'd been manager of Sheffield Wednesday. He'd been manager of Newcastle, which was his 
sort of boyhood club having grown up up there um didn't really work out got the Ireland job was looked at a little bit strangely from what what I've read and, and been been told because obviously he was an English gentleman coming over but he was he was a legend I mean he was a World Cup winner he's part of not only the great England team that won the World Cup but the great Leeds team that we talked about earlier like him and Norman Hunter were the centre backs behind Giles and Bremner that was the spine and core of that team. And um, in, in 10 years with Ireland, he, he just worked miracles and got us to the Euros in 88 where we beat the English, drew with the Russians who were really good and then got robbed against the Dutch and went out in the group stage, brought us to the World Cup, drew with England, drew with the Dutch, drew with the Egyptians, beat Romania on penalties and then you know, unfortunately lost to the Italians after um, after Packy Bonner slipped and total scratch he scored. We didn't make Euro uh, 92, but we went to the World Cup in 94. We got out of our group. And unfortunately, the, the, the heat, the heat just ate us alive in Florida. And we went out in the round of 16, I think it was. And then we almost qualified for Euro 96. We got to the playoff. And the Dutch team, the core of which was the Ajax team, which were probably the best team in Europe at the time, uh, beat us 2-0 at Anfield in in a playoff. And uh, then he resigned. And unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago as well. Uh, if I could, I would recommend uh, watching the documentary that was made about Jack Charlton. Uh, I, think, I think it's on Amazon. I'm not 100% sure. It's called Finding Jack Charlton. It's really, really good. It talks about his relationship with his brother, his time with Ireland, his time with the country of Ireland, and the the like the fact that up until the very last years of his life, he maintained a home here. He came here to fish multiple times a year. Uh, my mom met him once. He had bought a house I believe in Donegal, um, to have as a base for fishing. This was after he'd left the Ireland job. And, um, he, my mom used to work in Navin carpets in the accounts department. And he went in to, you know, to design, pick his own carpets and have them designed for him. And, uh, she got to meet him and said he was the nicest man, had time for everybody, stayed for hours, signed everything he was asked to sign. Some people went home to get cameras to take pictures because obviously no camera phones back then. And he patiently waited for them and had no, no airs or graces about him at all. Just said he was the nicest man. And then obviously it covers his battle with dementia in the latter years of his life. But it is, it's a really, really tough watch, but it's incredible. And, um, I recommend everybody watching that. So yeah, there we go. Fantastic, yeah. He's uh, obviously extremely highly regarded and well thought of and well spoken of um, person as well as a manager. So I uh, I don't necessarily think we've, we've got a winner here. I think they're pretty two well-matched teams, to be honest. Yeah, I think so. I think they're both very, very good teams. I think they're a lot of fun as well. Right, we will leave it there and we will hopefully be back later in the week. Now, we might not, uh, it will all depend on scheduling, but we'll try and get something else. So this will probably come out in the middle of the week, I'm guessing. We'll try and get something that comes out over the weekend and then we'll definitely get Everton done ahead of 
the following weekend. Mm. But um, Carl is very busy the next couple of weeks, so scheduling is just going to be a bit of an issue. Um, and I'm, I've got some things on the horizon as well that are just going to take a bit of time. So uh, we'll get back when we get back. We'll, we'll hopefully have another one later this week and then at definitely at least Everton for the following week. So do you have anything to plug before we go? I uh, don't want to specifically plug anything, but I do want to say just um, obviously in the absence of Liverpool playing, uh, if anybody has not started to watch this season, it's worth tuning into Liverpool women for the WSL. The season has started very well for them. Two wins from two. Beat Arsenal away um, on the opening day of the season and then also won uh, last night as we're recording this. They beat Aston Villa. Uh, so during the international break from the men's, they play Leicester in a cup game, which will be Wednesday night. But then at the weekend, it's actually Liverpool against Everton, um, which will be, uh, I'm almost 100% sure, is at Anfield for those who can and want to go. And if not, it's on Sky, so it's on TV for those who want to watch from afar. So definitely worth tuning in to at least get some domestic and Liverpool-based action. And uh, you never know, might be one of the many, many, many who are enjoying to watch it on a more regular basis. Um, other than that, I think that's it. Yeah, I think it. just before we finish, I think it's been it's been great to see a lot more emphasis put back on the women's team by the club again, because if you think back, um, a name that maybe... Uh, will ruffle some feathers. When Jen Chang took over as director of communications, he, he also was involved in recruitment for the women's team and they went on to win the league. And then it seemed like the funding got like really slashed for the women's team. And obviously they got relegated and, you know, have had a tough couple of years. And now it seems like, you know, there's a lot more emphasis gone back on the women's team. Obviously they've bought, bought back Melwood uh, with the, the idea of it now being the, the main base for Liverpool's women's team and the women's academy, which is a you know, massive step forward for the club. So I, I do think it's it's great to see. It's a shame that there was a few years there where the club seemed to be almost dismissive of the women's team, but now there is more focus on it. And, and like Carl said, I think I think it is beneficial for people just to give it a watch because it's a decent standard of football. I, I, I do think there should be some changes made. Um, we we can maybe get into them on another podcast sometime. But yeah, I, I like that shout. So we will see you when we see you. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.